Welcome to Translation Confidential. This is Peter Argandizo and Patrick Daly. And today we are joined by Jim Ritchie. This is awesome. We have not had a buyer uh, on our podcast yet, so this is great. He is a project manager at Trek. And for those of you who know the company, they make awesome bikes. And that's here in Wisconsin. Uh, actually, I'm in Illinois, but I still identify with Wisconsin. So here in Wisconsin, let's say that it's near the Madison area. We're glad to have you, Jim. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Great. Outstanding. So I thought um, we'd maybe get started. I know, Patrick, you have a funny news story that you wanted to talk about. Why don't we start there? Yeah, um, I found a news story from the, uh, what is it, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, uh, and it goes into details about some of the translations they've been using uh, during this time of voting here in the U.S., uh, and they found an interesting uh, likely mistake or error in their translations calling a political party and it's translated in Spanish as fiesta uh, when it should most likely be a partido. So I think that's just very interesting that they likely pulled that word out of context and just go, oh, party, fiesta, boom, Spanish translation, done. And they didn't really consider you know, the context of its usage. So I think that's very interesting that it popped up like that. And there actually could be legal ramifications of that if they're not providing accurate voter information that there could be a lot of legal issues that they might have to deal with going forward with it. Yeah, I can imagine someone who's, you know, seeing that and saying, wow, a fiesta, this sounds great. So yeah, if they're if they're identifying a political party with that kind of fiesta, then uh, um, that that's, uh, that's a real shame, because it's certainly not that. But um, great. Well, why don't we get started? You know, I, I think the aim here is, um, you know, we're fortunate to have Jim here. Um, we're going to ask him some questions about his journey, his uh, language instruction, a little bit about his day, you know, how things work as a buyer. So it uh, should be a good show. Um, but I wanted to get started with, because I think it's interesting, um, you know, why why the business? So I, thought, I thought I would go first. Like, why did I get into the translation business? And I, I can always think of, uh, and I've, I've told this story before on the podcast, but I can remember this. I was in eighth grade. I think it was about eighth grade, somewhere between sixth and eighth. It's like 400 years ago, so it's hard to remember. But I was a student, and I was in a bank, and there was this older gentleman, and he was trying to um, uh, to make a withdrawal, and he wanted a specific amount of money because I think he was going to put it in some gift cards. But his English was terrible, and I heard he spoke Italian, and I don't know. I was kind of a shy kid, so it's funny to me that I did this, but I walked up. I introduced myself and I said to the teller, you know, I speak Italian, perhaps I can help. She's like, yeah, this is some kid, this is weird. But I, I did, I helped. The older gentleman got exactly what he needed. And that was kind of the spark for me. And I thought, you know, this could be um, a cool thing. This could be a career. And it was sort of the spark and very inspired, of course, by my father. He was, you know, multilingual, had an Italian radio show in Milwaukee. So he did a lot with language. And I think that was kind of my spark. Patrick, what was yours? Mm -hmm. um, so I had been taking language classes basically all throughout um, my education, starting in middle school all the way through college, obviously. Um, and when I went into college, I was thinking, I want to do something with math. And then I took a few math classes and realized that that was not something I would enjoy doing. Um, so luckily at the time, I was already planning on minoring in Spanish. Um, so as much as we say that translation isn't like a one-to-one -one A equals B type of thing, it kind of just made sense to me to go into translation, kind of just computed with how I'm wired as a person and kind of the skills that I do have. 
Um, so I was thinking, hmm, this translation thing seems pretty cool. So um, I joined the translation program at Illinois and then um, was on the job hunt after school. I wasn't really sure, you know, what to do with a uh, degree in Spanish and then a minor in business and a minor in translation. Um, and then I just kind of kind of fell backwards into project management. It seemed like a good blend of all my skills. Um, and I think I was pretty well qualified for that. So I just kind of, I kind of fell into translation, but I mean, just like I said, the way I was wired was kind of that mathematic computing type situation where that part of translation really appealed me, the technology that we can use to make translation easier and better. Um, so Jim, I have the same question for you, um, kind of why, why did you get into the translation industry? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, it's so interesting to like think about it looking back. What I wanted to go to school for when I was in high school was actually music. But my mom was uh, an accountant, an accounting teacher, and she was not crazy about that career path. Uh, <laughs> so I actually had this really long talk with my Spanish teacher in high school in Spanish. We just talked for like 15 minutes. And you know, I'd, I'd been to Italy. I had Italian family. That's what got me interested in languages to begin with. And I'd been to Italy for like an art history program. I went there two weeks in the summer once. And I actually took Russian online just because I wanted to get out of taking physics. And Italian wasn't an option for that. So I'd taken a few languages. I had some experience with languages. And, and I took Spanish all four years of high school. And I grew up in this super rural town, 2000 people, Northwestern Wisconsin. And I didn't think anything about it. I thought everyone got an A in Spanish. I thought it was like gym or some class like that. And my Spanish teacher told me, you know, you're actually really good at studying languages. And I didn't know that was a skill that everyone had. Uh, so that was interesting to me. And she said, maybe you want to do something with languages in college. And I didn't even know that was an option. So I did that. I went to UW-Eau Claire, got my degree in Spanish, and I didn't study uh, business or education or anything. I just studied Spanish, uh, was my major, Bachelor of Arts. And I was taking a bunch of classes for Russian as part of my linguistics minor. You could take classes in other languages to kind of meet that minor. And I came back from studying abroad in Spain and found out I was pretty much done with school after three years. I found out I had taken all the Spanish classes I needed to, and my degree was done. So yeah, that was undergrad. And then I taught Spanish for a while. And I kind of thought I wanted to go on with school, get another degree. And I got the master's in Master of Arts in Language, Literature, and Translation from UW-Milwaukee. Um, because that program appealed to me, I think, like you mentioned, Patrick, um, it kind of appealed. There were a lot of different things going on in translation. Uh, when I was taking Spanish classes in undergrad, I liked literature classes, and I also liked linguistics. So translation combined a lot of things I was studying in other classes. Um, and that's what led me to that program at Milwaukee. Well, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you kind of took my thunder away. And my next question, I was going to ask about your education path. So I'm going to change it up a little bit. Um, because you, you sort of shared, you know, what your path was. And I think that's interesting because I do think that there, there is some truth to sort of an innate ability. I think some of us are born with an ability to grasp languages. And obviously, Jim, that was great that that teacher recognized that in you and presented 
sort of a path forward because I think all too often uh, that path is obscured or someone isn't kind enough to to say, hey, you know, recognize your skills and your abilities. Um, uh, I do wonder, though, if you had gone on into music, um, you know, what maybe your mom took away from the world. Like what what do you envision yourself as? Would you have been? This is the question. It's a big one. Would you have been a rock star, a folk star, a um, a rap star? What what genre of music is what you like, Jim? Well, um, you know, it's it's just interesting to think about what my mixtape would be. <laughs> but, <laughs> exactly. No, but uh, I, I liked jazz. I was in jazz band in high school, and uh, I wanted to play on cruise ships. So thinking about how things are today maybe i'd be trapped somewhere i'd be stuck on a cruise ship unable to Jim, get i off. think you need to write your mother a thank you note right <laughs> after this yeah. podcast. <laughs> true i definitely do patrick go ahead i think you had another question for jim uh yeah so you mentioned um or not you mentioned we obviously know this because we know you uh, but you've worked for a couple different lsps um as an intern and then a full-time employee um, plus some of the teaching experience that you mentioned. So how did those jobs uh, either prepare you for or really contribute to what you're doing now? So my first uh, experience with a translation company in LSP uh, was I was a, an intern uh, somewhere you guys might know about, a, a place <laughs> called Argo. Um, so as part of my master's program, a requirement was to do an internship and Looking back on it, I, I'm just thinking now how kind of different it was to what I was doing in a lot of my master's program and, and also how similar. Because um, most of my classes, I was really focusing on like literary translation. I translated some poems and got them published in magazines and stuff like that. So, and I, I gave a presentation in London, in the UK, on kind of analyzing different translations of Dante and how different translators have approached that over the years so it it's really interesting to me that i chose to do you know a practical um you know there were different like specializations in that program and the fact that i chose to do the professional track overall instead of a more research focused one and the fact that i chose to do an internship with a company because i definitely know people who like their internship was they shadowed a literary translator or they subtitled a documentary um i think my thinking was um i just wanted to know more about the industry side of things and what was out there and I, what i really took away from my internship with argo definitely the technology um the office was just so high tech it wasn't really in northern Wisconsin, we didn't really have any facilities maybe like that, uh, at least that I had worked in. And then um, also, I kind of saw the asymmetry of the translation industry where, um, you know, really a very small group of project managers uh, were tackling so much, uh, working with different languages, different industries. And I definitely, as I worked with the project managers, I saw that they wore a lot of hats. They would be, you know, handling invoicing in one minute, and that's something more in line with accounting. And they would also call clients, and that's more of a skill set I associate with, like, sales. And they would do a lot with technology, and they all had some sort of background in language. So I think that's the two main things I took away from that internship, were that the project managers 
their days were very varied. They served a lot of functions. They had a lot of talents in different areas. And then also that technology was a huge part of the industry. Thank you, Jim, for sharing that. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm glad you had a positive experience. We certainly <laughs> did as well. I think that was a great summer. It was great to have yeah. you with us. And um, it, as you recall, we had another intern that summer as well. And it was kind of cool to have two interns in the office and two very different tracks, right? You were sort of trying to figure out, because I think you were thinking about maybe teaching and you were thinking about sort of that classical path versus um, a business path in translation. And the other um, intern was really looking at government work, right? He wanted to do yeah. intelligence work. So that was really interesting. And he was um, Chinese language. So very different, very different backgrounds. So that was fun. I, I still think that was one of our most fun summers in terms of interns. Very different than this year when we have no one in the office, of course, uh, with uh, all things considered. But um, uh, Jim, I know you went on, if I can add a follow-up question, yeah. I know you went on to work with um, another agency and not an intern capacity, but a project manager capacity. And I'm always curious, so I'm going to take advantage of this. Um, and I'm not looking for dirt or anything negative <laughs> or anything like that. But did you see great differences in the way that we worked, say, there's versus, a you know, another agency or um, yeah. any observations that you had, really? So I worked at a, a pretty big uh, company. And you sometimes mention on this podcast, a uh, big fan, by the way, um, that, you know, at a really big company, like someone's entire day might be prepping files or, you know, analyzing files or just a super specialized task. That's actually what my day started off being like when I was very new at that company. Just all day, every day, I was uh, handling a specific stage of a specific workflow. Um, but while I was there, kind of the reason I came to that company was I was interested in website localization. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, I was interested in website localization. And um, that led me to, I got to talking to the person kind of in charge of localization. And even though I started off doing this one very specific task in a specific workflow, um, eventually I started accruing my own localization clients. And I started building up a portfolio of, you know, different companies at whose website that I translated. And that was really interesting. I loved the technology aspect of it. I'm still really close with some of the web engineers and people that I was working with every day in that role. And um, yeah, eventually I, I landed like this huge um, new client coming in in this big um, onboarding. And then shortly after that, uh, I left because I felt I'd kind of done all I could do there. Good for you. Good for you. Um, I think that's, uh, thank you for, for, for sharing that. And I do think that, you know, agencies work differently. They do different things. Um, I'm always going to go back to sort of our mission is that, you know, we want our project managers to have a grasp of the total mission versus just one very small sub-segment. Um, we're less, less like Ford and probably more like Tesla in the sense that we like to get our, our let, let our people innovate, let our people be a little more creative um, than just doing one very tiny. Um, and when I say Ford, I mean the old Ford, like the old sort of, um, you know, um, assembly line sort of idea. I think that that's, the, I don't think that works as well in translation. So uh, 
Patrick, I think, or actually the next question was for me, I guess. So I guess we want to dig down a little bit deeper for those that um, are not buyers. You know, what does a day look like for you? So, you know, we, we talk a lot about on this podcast about what a project manager does, but tell us a little bit about what you do when you're, you know, inside the four walls of a corporation and in charge of translation. So what does a day look like for you? Yeah, so uh, I guess my full title is localization project coordinator uh, with Trek, and been there for a little over a year now, a year and a couple months. Um, in a lot of ways, my day is pretty similar to back when I worked at an LSP or what you know a, a PM at an LSP would do. So I have different blocks of my day kind of cordoned off for things like uh, checking my email. Uh, doing invoices, processing invoices, delivering files to their requesters. Just instead of a client, there's someone within the company from one department or another um, and kicking off new projects. So those are kind of the bulk of what I do. Um, But there are a few things that are kind of specific to the role I have in this organization, which is one So there's only one other person who has the same job I do, and then we both report to our boss. And of the three people in my department, I'm kind of the most outgoing. I have a background. Like I said, I was a teacher for a while. So I handle all the training whenever we get a new linguist, a new freelancer that we start working with, a new provider, uh, or a new ICR reviewer. I train all the people coming into our system on the portal we use. So I train new freelancers, I train new ICR reviewers, and in the cases where we work with an agency or an LSP, I usually train a PM or a couple PMs in case someone goes on vacation so we can have a backup. So I handle all the training and then quality control. That's a carryover from my previous job um, where a policy there was we didn't take on clients until we had a style guide and a glossary for them. I've kind of taken my knowledge of that area and rolled it into this role. I handle all of the style guides and getting those finalized. And I handle all the terminology management, uh, which is, a, there's a lot going on in that area. If you follow um, Facebook, just put out a really interesting article about what they're doing in terminology management. So I handle those areas. And then, um, yeah, I guess the biggest difference Um, is that I'm on a lot more meetings. So on a given day, um, I have meetings about certain things going on in the company. um, And that's really interesting, actually having a stake in that. Uh, You know, if the company is doing a certain campaign, how does that affect me? What I'm in the back of my head thinking, like, what are the translation requirements going to be? Are we going to have to modify this a lot to localize it for a region? Is this going to be over a holiday in that region? Are we going to have to change the date? Things like that. Um, But yeah, it's different when you, on a daily basis, you know, see the face of the person you're dealing with uh, who's requesting these files get translated, requesting this video get subtitled. So going into meetings and having those pretty frequently, uh, that changes the dynamic a little bit. But I think, you know, at kind of a smaller agency or LSP where your PMs are the ones making all the phone calls. Um, that could be similar there too. 
You know, Jim, that's, um, that's interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Um, that's one of the things that I miss when I was sitting um, in your chair is um, cause you, you get a chance to get the total mission. So in other words, you're in with a product manager or a marketing manager that says, Hey, this is what we're going to try to lay out. We're going to try to hit these countries. Um, as in our, in our seat, we usually don't get um, invited to those sort of things. Um, we, we like to be inside of product kickoffs when it's possible. Cause sometimes you get really good intelligence or really good color on what the mission is or, um, you know, what the challenges are. So I think that's really cool that you get to be and that's really A to Z. In other words, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're even at, at conception of, you know, the product or the campaign, which is very cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Well, one interesting thing is, um, so translation at, um, where I'm working is, technically part of the marketing department i guess it's floated around it's been in different areas before but now it's uh housed in marketing because most of what we translate is web content and all of web design and web development is in the marketing department um and sometimes you know when there's a new product coming they'll just give us the sales pitch um like they would to you know a retailer who wasn't sure whether or not they wanted to take the product um, and that comes at the very early stages of design for a product. So that's really cool to see. Great. Thank you, Patrick. I think you had another question. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question, Jim would be, um, what advice do you have for someone who's trying to get into the translation industry, whether on the buyer side or on the LSP side, you can take it either way you want. Yeah. Or just, um, one thing is if you're a student and your program has like a big final exam, <laughs> Uh, make sure you're talking to your advisor like a long time before that exam so you know what to expect. Mine kind of snuck up on me. Um, but beyond that, I think the biggest like constant across working for an LSP, working at a company, being a freelancer, I've taken on some freelance projects, is it, it costs nothing to be nice. Um, I can think of all virtually all the you know business relationships that have not gone well um ultimately terminated because you know someone at one point or another just was unpleasant to deal with and if it's a matter of translation quality you know there's always that element that you know we can make a style guide we can make a glossary we can update the tm we can give feedback and if people are receptive to that, you know, that's that's one thing. And that can always be improved, the actual translation content. But if someone's just not pleasant to deal with, uh, that's a lot harder. Um, so, yeah. And uh, I can think of, you know, different horror stories or whatever. But, yeah, I think people skills are the biggest, you know, factor in success in this industry, whether you're a freelancer whether you're at a company or whether you're at a corporation whatever um and sometimes those differ culture to culture so that's something to be aware of too if you're in europe or latin america um if you're going to be translating from english to your language maybe read up on you know american business culture because not everything is universal amen i think that's uh phenomenal jim thank you for uh uh, for that, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think um, we've talked about it that sometimes we see things as being very transactional. You know, when we get busy, when we are managing a lot of projects, you concentrate so much on the ins and the outs that you forget that 
a human asked you for the job, right? They asked you for the help <laughs> and, you know, people make mistakes. Sometimes they forget to include a document or they forget to include a sentence or they have to make a change because their boss asks them to make a change. And um, understanding that that's just another person on the other side who has a job just like you have and they're trying to please their bosses or trying to meet a goal or trying to do something. And if you can uh, show a little kindness, that goes an, a long way. And I think that that, that certainly is universal is, is that, that kindness. Um, so that's, that's, that's really good. Well, this is the part of the podcast where we always talk about our biggest takeaways. And I think we covered a bunch of different things today. Um, I think I, I usually like to go last because then I steal all the smart things that come out of everyone else's mouth, but I think I'm going to go first today. And for me, I think my biggest takeaway is that, um, I'm, I think I'm, I'm proud of, of our group. I'm proud of, uh, of Argo for getting involved with the universities and taking interns. Cause if we didn't, we wouldn't get to meet some of the people that we meet. And Jim, it was an absolute pleasure having you here. And I'm, I'm sorry, we didn't have a job opportunity at the time. Uh, otherwise you'd, you'd probably be wearing an even different hat, but I'm <laughs> really, really happy to see, I think anyone that's come through our doors, whether it's an employee and they've moved on or whether it's an intern, I'm just happy to see them be successful and I think you're doing really well. So congratulations. And uh, it was fun to have you as part of our podcast. And I think, I think we're going to let our guest go last so he can steal all the thunder then Patrick, what, what's your big takeaway for today? Yeah, I have uh, two things. I think one is something that Jim said of it costs nothing to be nice. Um, When the more you think about it, the more we're like all in customer service roles, basically we're always dealing directly with those customers. So just kind of taking that second, digesting everything that comes in and really, you know, thinking it through before you hit send on anything is really a valuable skill. And it can honestly win you customers for life. Uh, so really that one time that you do something nice for them could lead to a lot more business for you. So it's really, it's a win-win if you're nice to everyone. Um, and then really kind of what you said as well of that bridge between, um, educational institutions and companies, I think that there's those bridges are super valuable. It's something that I wish I knew about while I was in school, and it's a connection I wish I had. Uh, when I graduated from college, I kind of had the a moment of, uh, oh, crap, what am I going to do with my life right now? Um, and I think if that bridge between um, my school and a company existed, I think it would have put my mind at ease, and I could have uh, maybe broken into the industry a little bit quicker than how I ended up breaking in. Jim, how about you? What was your biggest takeaway from today? Oh man. Patrick did too. So you get to do as many as you like. So. <laughs> oh man. And I'm in the coveted last spot too. Exactly. Great. Um, I think a big thing is there's a lot of diversity in the language not just service, but the language world. Uh, there are translators, there are teachers, um, and you know, people who work at translation companies, um, or people who work in uh, companies that don't make translations, don't specialize in translations, but work with the translations for that company. Um, and we're all connected in a lot of ways. And it, yeah, it helps to not burn any bridges. You want to maintain those connections. Um, that's how you build a strong business. And yeah, just the fact that a lot of people work with language, whether they're teachers, translators, project managers, 
um, and they can come from a lot of different backgrounds and uh, reasons for being interested in language because it's just a fascinating thing to learn and to work with. Wonderful. Well, with that, we'll close. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jim. It was an absolute pleasure having you. And for this episode of Translation Confidential, this is Peter, Patrick, and Jim signing off. Thank you. Thank you.